Here we are, the last episode of 2023 for the Planet LP podcast. This is episode 91, if you're keeping track. And as we end this odd number year on an odd numbered episode, it is customary for those who work in pop culture, as I do, as Keith Creighton does, to assess the year that was. And that's exactly what we're going to do in this episode. It's the top 10 albums of 2023 with me. And for this countdown is Pop Dose writer Keith Creighton. Hi, 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 Keith. Hey, hey, hey. Ho, ho, ho. Good to talk with you. Can't believe we're here in December. I know. This was a pretty good year in terms of music, though, don't you think? Oh, my God. Yeah. Looking back at the 50 albums that made my Pop Dose list that I published last week, there was a good 40 left on the cutting room floor, including (laughs) some that made your list and some that I've seen on other lists like Pitchfork and Mm -hmm. Rolling Stone and the New York Times. And so there's just was really, really good stuff out there. And that's just in the stuff that appeals to me, a Gen Xer let alone everything that's for everybody out there, because there are genres and artists that made a lot of these other top albums of the year list that I've never even heard of. That's true. I was looking on Pitchfork and I'm all like, I think I recognize maybe three titles out of the entire list that they did. I was a little bit more, I guess, in tune with what was going on on NME. Rolling Stone, yeah. also another one. I was just sort of like, huh, all right. These are the good ones, huh? Well, ready. I think that's just because I was raised on British music, especially yeah. new wave bands, mm-hmm. that Enemy is always simpatico with me, you know, and I do get a lot of my cues. There's a couple of artists that Enemy will turn me on to every single year. And I think the thing that differentiates my list from a lot of others is mine is based purely on entertainment value, where I think a lot of others, when I read, because I read lots of year-end lists, mm-hmm. there's, there's the writers are tasked with or struggling to find what they call great or the best. Maybe it's innovative uses of beats or really meaningful lyrics that speak to the time and age we're in right now. I don't know if people would listen to a lot of those albums for pleasure. You know, these are albums that we're going to talk about today that I am going to be listening to for years to come because they're comfort food for my soul. Yeah. And if you want to read Keith's massive year-end review called An Aging Hipster's Top 50 Albums, It's on Popdose for you to read right now, and I will link to it in the show notes. Now, both Keith and I have looked over our albums that were on our radar and have assembled our top tens for this year. Now, one thing that will be abundantly clear as we spotlight our picks is that there's very little crossover in terms of what we think are the best albums this year. And I think that's really good because... Really, if we're all in lockstep, well, what's the fun in that, right? It's always nice to see diverse lists. And we were previewing that when we were talking about some of the other websites that we look at in terms of their lists. Now, they're kind of all over the place, but you said these are songs and albums that give you pleasure, that you're going to be listening to them years from now. I think you're right in some ways that that music journalists now struggle to spotlight albums that maybe aren't pleasurable so much, but they're struggling to find what critically they think is innovative, whether it's lyrically, musically, whatever, about this record. And they they want to share that with the world. And I don't yeah. know if that's just so people can be really niche, because that's kind of how music is right now. It's all very siloed and all very niche, or some people say niche, which is it niche or niche? I guess there's a niche for niche, right? Yeah. So, niche sounds like quiche, which now yeah. gets me hungry here. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
But I think that's kind of where we are right now, that we've got these yeah. sort of siloed um, tastes and there's not sort of this, and for lack of a better term, there's not this kind of monoculture where everybody has heard of, say, what's on the top 40. I could say if we played a top 40 now to a very wide group of people, a lot of people wouldn't have heard of these songs. You know, they just don't listen to the to the radio or there's not a kind of medium that everybody gravitates towards, whether it was MTV, whether it was radio, but it's it's because of yeah. playlists and streaming and on demand. And then everybody has their own tastes that they have their own radio stations that they themselves choose and or curate for themselves. Yeah. Last night I was watching a Weird Al Yankovic documentary on Freebie and he very you know clearly said most likely he's not going to have another big parody hit again because there's not a lot of bankable mainstream zeitgeist artists that everybody would resonate with. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, look no further than Taylor Swift is right now in the zeitgeist. She's definitely up there. But Beyonce decided to do a Me Too version of the concert documentary rushed into AMC theaters. And even Beyonce made 40 million to Taylor Swift's 250 million. You know, it shows that even a superstar like Beyonce still has a very niche audience compared to the main like total public available what we're going to talk about here is going to be a lot of stuff that is based on song styles chord progressions earworm hooks that resonated with us when we formed our listening palette in the 70s and 80s and then that reflects in music from the 90s and beyond and so you're going to see a lot of callbacks in the sounds we're talking about today with that shall we get to the list let's do it Planet LP's Top 10 Albums of 2023. Number 10. Well, as the singers say, it is number 10. And Keith, why don't you start us off with your number 10? Okay, great. We're going to start off with Robin Taylor Zander, who is now, we could actually say, a friend of the podcast. After we discovered his record, we raved about it so much, we were able to get him onto the podcast a couple of months ago to interview him. If you recognize the name, You'd be like, Robin Zander, that's the lead singer of Cheap Trick. And yes, you're correct. But Robin Taylor Zander is also a member of Cheap Trick, but he also is doing his own thing in terms of putting out his first solo record. And he put it on Jack Douglas's record label that he, Jack Douglas just started. Jack Douglas, legendary producer, some of the biggest classic rock records of all time. When he's interested in putting your album out as the flagship first major release for a label... You know it's going to be good. What I really love about The Distance by Robin Taylor Zander is just that it it appeals to fans of Cheap Trick, but also the Beatles, the Beach Boys, the Stones, you know, the Grateful Dead, the Who. It has just a cornucopia of different sounds going on. And Robin Taylor Zander is a one-man band. He plays most of the instruments, does all the vocals and the multi-track backup vocals. It's just really big pop melodies. He's an amazing lyricist, great song structure, and it's just one of those things where he really put out a fantastic one-man band record. And he's on tour. You know, he's doing his own thing, doing a solo acoustic tour. And also, what really shows what a good multi-instrumentalist he is, is that he could fill in almost anywhere needed in Cheap Trick. If someone's sick, someone feeling under the weather, he could fill in on drums, bass, guitar, harmony, vocals, the whole nine yards. So... Definitely check out The Distance by Robin Taylor Zander. A very talented man. My number 10 is not Robin Taylor Zander's. Rather, it is 
Lil Yachty. Let's start here. Now, this is where Lil Yachty discovers that he kind of do a hip hop Pink Floyd album for 2023. For those who don't know who he is, Lil Yachty is the stage name of a guy named Miles McCollum. He's a 27-year-old artist from Georgia. He dropped out of college around 2014 or so to pursue his musical career. I think he made the right move because he's done quite well since his first single came out in 2015. For me, it's genuinely exciting to hear an artist like him break out of his box and just try something new. Even if that something new is kind of clothed in the well, the garments of psychedelic rock. But I think on this record, it works to great effect. But if Little Yachty's current song, which just came out on December 8th, is any indication it's called Gimme Delight, I think his flirtation with Pink Floyd and that psychedelic sound was just a passing fancy. But for me, I found it refreshing to hear somebody try something different, like from hip hop to try and say, let me branch out and just put in some lead guitar. And and it works. I, and I know I said that before, but it really does for me. So number 10 is Lil Yachty's Let's Start Here. Eager to hear, did you get turned on by T. Lil Yachty on your own through the algorithms? Or how did you discover him? Or did your kids turn you on to him? No, I read about it in, I don't know if it was Rolling Stone. It was a music website. And I saw the album cover. I thought, what is this? And then I read the review and it said something about that this guy's almost do like classic rock. I thought, I got to hear this. So I listened to it and I started listening to it more and more and more. And I thought he did a really good job on this. I mean, for 27 years old and really able to capture the nuance of a lot of classic rock sounds and channel it within his own musical stylings was quite good. There should be a mixtape of all the little artists, you know, because almost everybody has got a, a little something. And there was only one biggie. There was one biggie and that was it, you know, in terms of hip hop. But I guess, yeah, yeah, you could write a whole mixtape of Lil artists. Everybody else is Lil, right? Number nine. And here we are at number nine. Keith, what is it? What's yours? One of my all-time biggest music crushes. And, you know, music crush isn't a romantic crush. But, you know, my probably my first major music crush was Stevie Nicks, the Belladonna Mm -hmm. era. This one is Angela Purley. She put out an amazing new record this year. And so I discovered Angela Purley about a decade ago. I discovered this um, song called Athens, which is about the town in Ohio, not Greece. And it was one of those things where it's Americana, a little country, a little rock and roll. And when the soft intro kind of happens, then the guitars crash in. I was just completely hooked. And so I've been a fan for years. She's from Columbus, Ohio, and has mainly built her following in the Midwest and on the East Coast and a little bit in the South. She's been spending more time in Nashville as well, and that definitely affects her music. So if you like the whole Laurel Canyon vibe of Fleetwood Mac, country music as well, Scene Magazine in Cleveland actually said, Pearly's well-crafted songs measure up to anything you might hear in popular country-ish singer-songwriters such as Sheryl Crow and Miranda Lambert. So that's kind of exactly what you're talking about with her sound. And this is a very mature album for her because it's really about her paying attention to what's happening in the world. One of the lyrics on one of the songs here is, every time I turn around, something's breaking. It's like there's a lot of heartbreak. But, you know, a lot of happiness, too. So sunshine comes through the darkness. And if you like that kind of, you know, Nashville meets Laurel Canyon sound, it's really, really beautiful. 
Let's play a clip. Star Dreamer. Oh my God. It's complete magic ear candy. Here's Star Dreamer, Angela Pearly. There's one to put on your list, right? Here's one if you want to rock out. My number nine, Extreme Six. I'll nominate this for best album to rock out to in 2023. Really, this is the kind of record you can listen to in the car with the windows down if it's warm enough and the volume cranked up to ear bleeding levels. The one weird inclusion on this record is this song called Beautiful Girls. That's the second to the last song. It sounds like something like David Silver from Beverly Hills 90210 would do it at the beach club where he's performing live or something. I don't know. What'd you call it? A curveball type song. Mm. Yeah, it's very, it's very strange. But while the production of this record, both Keith and I had spotlighted that it's really awful, the songs are anything but. They're really solidly rock from start to finish, except for Beautiful Girls, which is just a sort of strange. It's got this little weird like faux reggae thing going on at times, but I don't mean to fixate on that. I would yeah. rather spotlight all the other songs that you're just going to love. I mean, it's a really solid rock album. Extreme yeah. six. That's my number nine. Yeah. Cause they got the stranger things Four bump as well, you know, which, you know, stranger things Four the soundtrack spotlighted their best ever song, which is not more than words, you know, the big ballad that put them on the top mm-hmm. of the charts, mm-hmm. but play with me from their self-titled album in 1989. Check out that self-titled record. It's still in print. It is amazing because you get this almost like classical level guitar pyrotechnics from Nuno Betancourt. And it's just a really, really fun record. So it's kind of nice to see them go full circle and kind of hit the zeitgeist again, because Six did really well, connected with a lot of fans. The band doesn't get the due that they're they're deserved, because Gary gets a lot of slack for being in Van Halen 3, which I think had nothing to do with Gary and everything to do with the political machinations of the band back then. But, you know, he's a solid vocalist. The band has always been really good. And it's great to see Nuno Betancourt kind of get the spotlight that he deserves as one of the best guitarists of our age. Number eight. Here we are at number eight. We're just knocking him down. What's your number eight, Keith? Silence Between Songs by Madison Beer. And so, man, you couldn't go from, you know, a more shocking change of course from extreme (laughs) to Madison Beer. Kind of a whipsaw, right? Yeah. (laughs) Madison Beer begs the question, can somebody be too hot to be a pop star? Because usually looks go hand in hand Mm -hmm. with selling pop product at the top of the charts. But it's one of those things where in some ways you got to wonder, because she has yet to really break through to the level of Ariana Grande or... Olivia Rodrigo, or even Taylor Swift level superstardom that her talent deserves, you know, because I think a lot of people don't take her seriously. Oh, she's a model. She's an actress. They don't really give her the kudos and the credit she gets for being a, a spectacular singer. This girl has range and man, she just, when she belts, she belts, but she could also do a soft melody. She's a really good songwriter and has co-writes on most of all of her songs. 
I'm really perplexed that this album didn't do as well as even her debut album neither broke the top 40 on billboard which is a shame because you know she's been in the game for more than 10 years she already has written a memoir called the half of it where she really acknowledges the privilege and opportunity she has but it's also a letter of warning for girls getting into the industry because she went through some shit in terms of being kind of used and spit you know chewed up and spit out by the industry and by men with dubious interests in her career she's got a really good book and a really good album to go with it but man madison beer's silence between songs really really beautiful melodies and if you really need to keep your toes warm during a cold winter that is the record to put on good choice good choice my number eight is mammoth wvh mammoth two wolfgang van halen said to apple music The one thing I wanted to do is avoid a sophomore slump, which is the curse of a lot of musicians. You know, you have, you have years, if not decades to craft your first album and only a matter of months to craft your second one. So he really wanted to avoid that sophomore slump. Well, laddie, mission accomplished. Mammoth 2 is more pop, but this is a record to state that yes, while Wolfgang Van Halen is the son of Eddie Van Halen. He's not bound to the legacy of that band in any way on his own recordings and his own music. He's he's not only found his voice, but he writes aggressive music that's technically very accomplished, but it swings wonderfully between pop flourishes and metal. And all you have to do is listen to this first song on this record, which is called Right, with a question mark, and you'll hear those two things. I really do enjoy this record. I know that it didn't rock as hard as the first one, but I think that he did avoid the sophomore slump. Mammoth, WVH, Mammoth 2, my number eight. He could just cash in and join up with Sam and Dave and Michael Anthony and do a Van Halen tour because at the Taylor Hawkins tribute concert, he went out there and shredded some Van Halen and can really, really play his dad's parts. But instead, he is a completely visionary artist doing his own thing, finding his own audience. And I couldn't be happier that he's getting the success that he has. Number seven. And here we are at number seven, as that little stinger told us. And Keith, here you go. It's all yours. And we just talked about Wolfgang Van Halen kind of unshackling himself from the legacy of his dad's band. And now here are three guys unshackling themselves from their own legacies. It's Lal Tallhurst, Budgie, and Jackknife Lee. And their album is called Los Angeles. Lal Tallhurst grew up with Robert Smith of The Cure and was in the band all the way through the disintegration era. Budgie was married to Susie Sue of Susie and the Banshees, and he was in the band throughout, you know, the tenure of Susie and the Banshees career, as well as the Creatures. Now they've kind of partnered with legendary producer Jackknife Lee, who's, you know, produced The Killers, U2, among countless others, to do this album that is basically unlike anything they've ever done. So Modern Drummer described it this way. It's not often two iconic post-punk drumming pioneers join forces with a producing superpower to make an album that not only hints at their past success, but sounds uniquely futuristic and full of rhythmic and melodic surprises. Los Angeles has guest appearances by just like a who's who of superstars, LCD Systems, James Murphy, Bobby Gillespie of Primal Scream, Starcrawler's Arrow D. Wild. Isaac Brock from Modest Mouse, and a little guy named The Edge from U2. And so the way this album came together, they actually 
got together with a different partner than Jackknife Lee and recorded an entire album at Tommy Lee's house, you know, the Motley Crue drummer. And so they realized, eh, this is too close to what we're coming from. And they threw the entire thing out. And so instead they brought Jackknife Lee in. Jackknife Lee brought synthesizers and a bunch of elements that they've never been exposed to. And they create these sound beds. And then COVID hits. And they're like, well, crap, I guess this project might not come together. And they were thinking about doing an instrumental record, but then sent it out to all the aforementioned collaborators with no expectations. Like they're just like, go do it what you want, what you want with this, and then we'll deal with it when we get the tracks back. And so that's what they did. You know, they really stretched themselves out. They let everybody really truly collaborate instead of saying, here's the performance we want from you. And it's just completely amazing because you're not going to know what you're getting from track to track or even within the twists and turns of every track. Absolutely fantastic record. And it's called Los Angeles because that was the reoccurring theme through the song. For Walt Tolhurst, he said, to me, Los Angeles is home. I came here when I left the cure and everything in my life was disintegrating. I came here to put myself back together again with the help of everyone here. And Budgie agrees. He said, to me, Los Angeles was a place of recovery and redemption after his divorce from Susie Sue. So really check out Los Angeles by these three guys, Lol Tallhurst, Budgie, and Jack Knife Lee. But oh my God, what an amazing experience. It was very, very unique. I have to say that I wasn't sure at the time what I was listening to, but I really liked it. And I think Lol Tolhurst is one of the first people to ever say, Los Angeles and redemption in the same sentence. <laughs> Los Angeles is usually associated with all the horrible things that people go through. I mean, the, the Eagles, most of their songs were about how crappy Los Angeles was. <laughs> Many people have uh, well mixed feelings about the town. Yeah. So it's nice to hear that there's a bit of a redemption story within within that city. Yeah, because around the same time the Budgie landed in Los Angeles, that's when I la- landed there. If you had asked me in 2002, what is like one of the one cities you would never, ever want to live in, I would have said LA. Yeah. And yet I found myself moving there after a crisis in 2003. And I too found redemption and I found my community. I found my artistic meeting. I even found my wife there. And even though the marriage didn't work out, it set a course correction for my life that led me up to Seattle. So I'm eternally grateful for the city and the people I met there and the creativity that is Los Angeles. So I really, really resonate with this record. So the Hotel California thing is not so bad, I guess. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. Maybe it just Why stays ever leave? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so my number seven is a late entry. It's by Romy, and it's called Mid-Air. Now, I admit fully, I came to this album late, but I'm, I'm a fan of the XX's 2017 release, I See You. And I really like Romy Croft's voice in that group. When I saw that Romy released a solo album called Mid-Air in September, I was like, hey, man, how did I miss this one? But I'm glad I found it. This is a kind of a pandemic album, but it's also Romy writing songs about who she loves. Now that she's happily married, she notes that she's finally able to sing about her life with more clarity. In a New York Times article, the author notes... It's its own kind of coming out, not simply as a queer woman, but as a woman deeply in love, both with the unapologetically pop club scene of her teenage years 
and with her wife, something she's never sang about before. It's the sound of somebody stepping out from the shadows of her own shyness and reserve into the Keelig lights with an identity previously only known to her inner circle. You like a lot of club music, Keith, the sort of the dance-oriented stuff, and I think you might really like this one as well. You might have already heard it. It does reflect the pandemic a little bit in terms of some of the lyrics, but certainly that unapologetic love that comes through, I can hear it. And yes, there is a dance beat throughout the whole thing. So, Romy's yeah. Midair, my number seven. Number six. And here we are at number six. Number six. Keith, what is yours? Iggy Pop. Yes, Every Iggy. Loser. So, and now this is going to be a reoccurring theme because little spoiler alert, we're going to be keep talking about producer Andrew Watt throughout this. Iggy Pop put out once again one of the best records of his career because when he put out Post Pop Depression a couple of years ago, backed by a supergroup consisting of members of Queens of the Stone Age and the Arctic Monkeys, everyone's like, okay, if Iggy Pop is going out, that's going out on a high note because mm-hmm. it was such a masterpiece of a record. And then all of a sudden he comes out with this one, which is even better. It's produced by Andrew Watt. The New York Times recently profiled Andrew Watt and the headline was rock gods call him when they need a thunderbolt. <laughs> and that really describes it because he has produced all-star career-defining collaborations recently with the likes of Ozzy Osbourne, Morrissey, even though that one's still unreleased, Eddie Vedder, you know, he's got Iggy Pop and the Rolling Stones. In the New York Times piece, they talk about how these guys are rock stars after all. If they live long enough, they usually start to second-guess themselves. Sooner or later, they need someone to step in and guide them back onto the path. And that's what Andrew Watt did. This album, Every Loser, is like Iggy Pop's greatest hits. Personally, I'm not a fan of the Stooges. To me, it's just a little bit too in the red, a little bit too raw. But I came into Iggy Pop with his solo stuff, Lust for Life, Avenue B, Brick by Brick, blah, blah, blah. Essentially, this is just a victory lap through all those sounds. And so I think they really hit it out of the park. And never say never, there's going to be another Iggy Pop record on par with this because between the last one and this one, he did a whole album of French chamber music. So you never know what's going to come next from him. But man, if he does go out on this one, it's one of those career-defining masterpieces. Definitely. That was a good one. My number six is Everything But The Girl's Fuse. Man, I really love this record. And I did like Everything But The Girl in the 80s and 90s with their more adult contemporary phase, but this is not that. This is a groove record that's infectious, and I really like Tracy Thorne's voice, how it has aged to a degree that it's there's more pronounced low end on the sounds. It adds such a wonderful texture to these songs. So that's my number six. I'm kept it short. <laughs> Everything but the girl fuse. And that's how you can go out and, and listen to it and go out and buy it. Number five. Boy, we're halfway there. Living on a prayer. Here we go, Keith. You're up. Okay, this one is Christian Gelvander, and it's with a silent K. It's called Hold Your Love Still. And, you know, Sweden has given us, you know, everyone from ABBA to death metal band Ghost and almost everyone in between. And so they really, Sweden doesn't get as due in terms of all the gifts that they've given to pop music. And so Christian Jalvander, he's been putting out records for more than a decade. And he has got a voice kind of like Kate Bush, where it's jarring at first listen. But once you really kind of soak into it, it's just amazing. Hold Your Love Still is a mastercraft in songwriting. 
So one of the reviews I read about it after my own was they said it's an album cooked over a slow fire, recreated in its own sadness until it results in strangely cozy songs, which tend to approach five minutes and often exceed, betting on patient development as a form of draft. If you like the 90s, we talked about this on the podcast, the Till the End of the World soundtrack, which is a Wim Wenders film that had Johnny Cash, U2, you know, Talking on it. Heads. Daniel Lanois, some great stuff on there, yeah. He would fit perfectly well onto that soundtrack because it's that kind of gorgeous storytelling. So if you also like Leonard Cohen, this is the kind of stuff to check out now. And it's just a really amazing start to finish, perfect record, demands and rewards attention. So highly recommend Christian Gelvender. Let's play a clip from that album. We stood outside the abandoned hotel at the cliff on the edge of the ocean. While the words crashed fast Everything else crashed in a slow motion It was the year of the pig, the rabbit, the ox And soon enough the horse As we continued to shove our lives and our loves Down each other's throats All the good Number five, I'm still on the dance floor with Jesse Ware. That feels good. You gotta love that Ware is unironically celebrating sex. At 39 years old, she's doing so as a almost a middle-aged woman who loves the nightlife and loves to boogie on the disco round. I'm not kidding. You know, growing up in the disco era, I did. I grew up in that disco era as a kid. I had an older sister who was six years older. She really loved the genre. So when I listened to That Feels Good, and I have to say it almost how it's written because it's all exclamation points, That Feels Good. It's the real deal. It's easy to make fun of disco. Most people tend to. But for where, I think her celebration of sexual liberation reminds one that disco was an important soundtrack on the dance floor or for the dance floor culture where shaking your groove thing was serious business. So number five, Jesse Ware, that feels good. And and this is one to get on CD. So for most of the year, this was on track to be my album of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, you put it on and if you really need to showcase your sound system for somebody to really, you know, show, hey, look what I've got here and speakers and woofers, the whole nine yards. This one rocks your sound system like a good lover should. You know, it almost seems like you should put a cigarette in it after it plays <laughs> the songs. And so if you really like Dua Lipa's Future Nostalgia or Kylie Minogue's Disco, Really check out this one and the last one from Jesse Ware. They're fantastic records. Yeah, put them on. And when you put them on, put them on loud and have a good dance around the house. I think you'll enjoy it. Number. Is it four? Oh, yeah. That's number four, isn't it? Boy, we're getting closer to the number one spot. What will be the number one? We'll find out soon. But right now, we're at number four, and Keith is up. Two albums, one band. And that is The Coral, Sea of Mirrors is the main album, and then they put out a companion record with this called Holy Joe's Coral Island Medicine So. So two CDs on the same day, and The Guardian really summed it up. They said, after 20 years in the game, The Coral have been on a creative roll since their 2021 double album, Coral Island, based on the concept of a fictional seaside town, but inspired by real-life Blackpool. This time, the world band's follow-up is even better. 
even though it's set in this fictional little kind of seaside paradise, all the songs contain metaphors and allegories for a crumbling modern Britain. Essentially, they've returned to this fictional coral island area, and this time they're set on, like most of these albums are set around a spaghetti western movie that never got made. Really amazing characters kind of populate these songs. Drifters and grifters, carnies and conmen. You know, here they wrote a collection of songs, and the narrator, both on Coral Island and on this new tracks, is Ian Murray, you know, who is the grandfather of singer James Skelly and brother Ian Skelly from the band. This grizzled old narration kind of just lets you into this really creepy world. But, oh, my God, like the harmonies are beyond compare. The, the musicianship is first class. Then they even get Oppenheimer's Killian Murphy to deliver a narrative on one of the tracks. It's on a track called Oceans Apart. So I really highly recommend getting the twofer, Sea of Mirrors by The Coral, which is on streaming, and then Holy Joe's Coral Island Medicine Show, which is only going to be available on a first pressing physical vinyl and CD. So snap that one up while you can. My number four, it's uh, Don't Be Angry With Me. <laughs> it's the Rolling Stones, Hackney Diamonds. Now, this is likely the Rolling Stones' last album. Now that, let's face it, the members are well past retirement age and can easily pension themselves off for what remaining years they have on planet Earth. But you know what? The Stones aren't going quietly into the night. Nope. And for me, it's pretty inspiring to see that the Glimmer Twins – can still write songs like this. Yes, a lot of credit has to go to their producer, Andrew Watt, we talked about him earlier, who seems to have a gift of hearing musical gems that need a little polishing just to make them shine ever so more. It's easy to wave this record away as and kind of scoff as like, oh yeah, that's grandpa rock. But man, the Rolling Stones really bring it to such a level that they ought to be extremely proud of what they have wrought even if it's their last album, man, what a way to go out. Rolling Stones, Hackney Diamonds, my number four. If you haven't picked it up, it was worth the wait because in January, they are re-releasing Hackney Diamonds as a two CD edition with the complete live set of that club show they did where Lady Gaga jumped on stage with them. So you get six bonus tracks, one classic and the rest from the new album. So wait and get Hackney Diamonds deluxe edition in January. Awesome. Number three. We are at number three now. Keith, what is it? Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark with yeah, Bauhaus Staircase. Yeah, nice And one. so hats off to David Metzger, our colleague from Popdose, who really did an incredible interview with Andy McCluskey of OMD. It's on Popdose. You could find it right there. And in the interview, Andy says... People say nice things about us. So the last thing we want to do is fuck it up by doing a shit album, you know? And that really <laughs> describes Bauhaus Staircase, which is album number four in their second Renaissance era, meaning they have been putting out records since they reformed around the 2010s that are on par with all their amazing records that started off in the late 70s. They used to be like a nerd band singing songs about genetic engineering, and Enola Gay, you know, the bombing of Japan. And so things that you would normally think wouldn't make for a good pop song. Mm -hmm. That's what OMD's kind of part and parcel always was, where they could get out of a synthesizer emotion that a lot of singers can't even capture in their own voice. 
the Baja Staircase really is kind of an album that's documenting the end of mankind. There are some dark moments on this where it's looking like, especially there's one song that's documenting human population from the beginning of time through where they think it's going in about a hundred years. And when you look at, you know, human population and stripping the resources, there's a chance that mankind is not going to be around much longer. And yet you wouldn't think that that would make for a great pop song, but man, drench that in great synthesizers, really amazing arrangements. And you're like, holy crap, this is awesome. (laughs) So the proper album, perfect. You could even find a digital deluxe, which has 29 tracks. You could even find a two CD version, which has then a lot of demo tracks. There is just a lot of candy to explore. They've also then put out a bunch of their B-sides already and 12-inch singles. So I think there's probably almost 50 tracks related to this era alone. (laughs) And so if you're an OMD fan, dive on in and explore the entire universe of Bauhaus Staircase. My number three is Michaela Davis and Southern Star. What a surprise record this was for me. I found the kind of Americana vibe of the record refreshing because the sound of the album sounded so organic and of this world, almost a contrast to OMD, not in a bad way, but I'm just saying that if things are drenched in synth, sometimes it has its own flavor, its own texture. But when you start to hear instruments and the separation and this sort of organic sound, it has almost a comforting feel to it. I think the track that hooked me and certainly other people was the single Cinderella. She has a really lovely voice. I think she kind of reminds me a little bit of Sean Colvin from the Sunny Came Home era. I'm not a fan of country music, but I do like a lot of Americana and Davis's music fits right in the pocket of that genre. And it should be noted that she plays the harp. Yes, the harp. How many songs have you heard that feature that instrument? Maybe not that many, but the way the harp is used in her music is so tasteful that Davis may have set the standard for the instrument to be used in more songs by other artists. So number three, Michaela Davis and Southern Star. Number two. We only have two more albums to go, and we are at number two. What is your number two? I'm going to keep the love going for Michaela Davis and Southern Star. It's my number two record. And so Pitchfork had something interesting to say about this. They said, from Alice Coltrane to Joanna Newsom to Mary Lattimore, the rich lineage of artists have sought to liberate the harp from its familiar roles in the symphony and the church. And for me, Joanna Newsom, who is you know, ironically, I'm married to Andy Samberg of Brooklyn Nine-Nine fame. You know, I have never been able to penetrate her songs. They're a little bit too out there and kind of avant-garde for me. And that's why I love Michaela Davis so much is because she really mixes the harp, her vocals, and the steel guitar into just a beautiful melody that is somewhat Americana, somewhat country, Mm -hmm. somewhat rock and roll. I didn't learn this until after I put together my list and Southern star. The name of the album is actually a dedication to her band. That's the name of her band. And this truly is a band record because the band members each play an integral role to the sound, just like Tom Petty's heartbreakers did. So these aren't just session players in the background. while the star is front and center. They really do bring great artistry to the songs. For me, if you really like Fleetwood Mac's rumors, this is a modern day version of that, you know, where the harp and the steel guitar play like torn lovers. It's a really beautiful record. Totally worth checking out. Michaela Davis and Southern star, my second best album of the year. 
gets a lot of love on the Planet LP podcast this year, doesn't she? Good for her. Play she, a track, because people need to really kind of hear that beautiful harp in her vocals. Michaela Davis, the album and Southern Star. Keats, number two. My number three. Back to my number two is Stephen Wilson, The Harmony Codex. Some albums are showers. They come out of the gate really strong, and some are growers. They take a little while for their charms to reveal themselves. The Harmony Codex is a grower. It took me some time to warm up to this record. I didn't really like it when it first came out. I found it like a bit sterile at times. But what this album lacks in soul, it exceeds in the celebration of the complex. It's not like Wilson is showing off his musical chops here. Rather, this record is, in a way, like another one I'm going to spotlight soon, is more meditative. As I noted in this review of this record on Popdos, I said, Wilson said in an interview for the website Under the Radar, The never-ending staircase is about moments in one's life. That's a theme in this record. Sometimes it's about, quote, the really special things that happen to you in your life that kind of happen when you're not looking. Other times, it's pressure to provide for your family or to move up in your career, general anxiety about the world, or competing with others. It can all feel sort of overwhelming. But perhaps Wilson, who often goes to dark places in his art, is saying that, yes, living in the age that we do is rife with forces that we cannot control. But There are spaces or moments when something truly wonderful happens to people, moments that we shouldn't minimize because, well, the drudgery of the never-ending staircase threatens to drag us into nihilism or loss of individuality. This is pretty heady stuff, but that's what makes Wilson an important part of the progressive rock tradition. He's not afraid to tackle weighty topics or delve deep into the state of the world with music that often echoes the complexity of the world. So my number two, Stephen Wilson, The Harmony Codex. Number one. And we've arrived at our number one. Number one. Number one, as that British man says. And what's yours, Keith? There's no way to categorize what this is. It's called Mono by Kay Flay. I think it's her fifth record. And if you've never heard of Kay Flay, holy crap, get, hang on, it's a white knuckle ride. So she mixes hip hop, punk, metal, rock and roll, pop, even some soul in just the most exciting cataclysm of sound I have ever heard. She is one of the most exciting artists that I think is in the game. Blood in the Cut, which is a couple of records ago, is still probably one of my top five albums of this century. Absolutely amazing. Mono is a kind of tragedy that happened a couple years ago after, or actually in 2022, she Mm -hmm. chipped off of her bucket list climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. She came back and two weeks later woke up with hearing completely gone from one of her ears. Oh, shoot. Here she is, a pop star that is known for really cutting edge production. And now she cannot even hear stereo mixes of her own songs. So she went through a kind of a bit of a crisis. Do I give this up? 
How yeah. is this going to affect my live performance? How is it going to affect both my ability to write and produce records at the level that I'm producing? And so it really is about her overcoming and working through this tragedy and then finding herself again and finding her spirit and finding her songwriting ability and finding a way to move on. It's just an absolute white knuckle ride of sound, you know, kind of much like that feels good by Jesse Ware. This Mm -hmm. is one to put on when you really want to show your sound system and what it can do. It is just, it's headphone candy. It makes the speakers completely crackle just a masterpiece she can spit rhymes better than anybody in the game you know she has something vital to say because one of the main reasons i stopped listening to hip-hop around the 90s because i loved hip-hop in the 80s even the 70s to me something social to say or kind of a, a chance for me to hear perspectives from people i might not normally meet But lately, what I've noticed is almost everything is about you're in the club or we're in the mansion and we're all around the pool throwing around our money. And it's all about prosperity porn. You know, and I haven't found anything to really kind of connect with in terms of, well, okay, I'm a Gen X man, you know, raising a kid. I'm in my golden years, as they say. So maybe I'm not supposed to get a lot of hip hop. But yet she sings so viscerally that it's absolutely captivating. And she could sing. You know, kind of like she's a one-two punch like Missy Elliott, where she could belt a big song and then also, you know, sing Whisper Quiet. And when she raps, there's just nothing else like it. So I highly recommend Mono by Kay Flay. I'm going to link to the mini documentary that they did on her that you shared with me so people can kind of learn about her life her how she grew up and what informs her music. It's pretty fascinating stuff. It's not very long either. It's only 11 minutes long. Yeah. But yeah it's called good The Road to Mono. So highly recommend watching that just to get a taste for who this fascinating person is, as well as then an introduction to her art. And you could drop the needle anywhere in her catalog, and you're going to hear some of those most exciting music you've ever heard in your life. Well, my number one is also a very fascinating artist who's been on the scene for decades, Peter Gabriel, Io. That is my number one pick for this year, 2023. It's an album that's been decades in the making. It's not a masterpiece, but I think there are moments on this album that rise to masterpiece level, or maybe to put it another way, Io is a masterstroke of brilliance. One can tell that Gabriel labored hard on this record. The songcraft, the themes, the production are what you'd expect from a guy who's been making music professionally for most of his adult life. Now, does it live up or exceed albums like So or Us? No, not really. It comes close at times, and that's because this is probably Gabriel's last record of his career. He's 73 years old, and if you look at how long it takes him to release albums, the duration between those album releases has grown a lot. So it's been almost 20, actually it's been over 20 years since his previous release, which was called Up. So this may be his swan song. And if this is his swan song, then again, like the Rolling Stones, what a way to go out. So that's my number one, Peter Gabriel's Io. And the good thing is about this record, he gives plenty to get into. I bought the three disc version you know, which has like, and what did you like better? Like the day is the day mixes and the night mixes, correct? Bright and dark mixes. There so you go. some songs, some songs, I like the dark mix better, like Panopticom. I thought the dark mix was so much better. Just that whole low end that he brought in. 
listen to them on your headphones, your earbuds, but listen to them on something that has some quality to it, good speakers, good ear, earbuds or, or headphones, because then you'll hear the difference. But, you know, if you're just going to like streaming off your phone with this phone speaker, you're not going to hear any differences. You sound like an AM radio, I suppose. Yeah. But yes, I did like the dark mixes on some of those better, but mostly it was the bright mix. I thought that he did a good job on. Okay, that's interesting because I gravitated to the dark mix. I guess mm-hmm. where you're you're the Jedi, you gravitate towards the force, <laughs> and I go to the dark side, you know. But I think you know, in this world of immediate gratification, especially since streaming puts everything at your fingertips, I think this album rewards you the more you let it kind of soak in over the next couple of years because you don't have to worry about rushing con- to consume it because he's got something new coming out next year. I think this is going to be one of those that really just settles into your subconscious and over the next couple of years will probably grow in importance as you really kind of let the songs resonate with you. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. So as we wrap up the podcast episode for the year, let's quickly run down our top 10. Keith, why don't you start with your 10 and go right to one? Oh my God. So we got Robin Taylor Zander, The Distance, Angela Purley, Turn Me Loose, Silence Between Songs by Madison Beer. Lal Tallhurst, Budgie, and Jackknife Lee, Los Angeles, Iggy Pop, Every Loser, Christian Jelvander, Hold Your Love Still, Two by The Coral came in at number four, which is Sea of Mirrors and Holy Joe's Coral Island Medicine Show. Number three, I had OMD with Bauhaus Staircase. Number two, Michaela Davis with Anne Southern Star. And my number one, Kay Flay, Mono. What a great list. I mean, it was very diverse. And if we look at the AB mixes of the list, mine are a little bit more mainstream. I'll start with number 10, Lil Yachty. Let's start here. Number nine, Extreme. The album is called Six. Number eight, Mammoth, WVH, Mammoth 2. Number seven, Romy, Midair. Number six, Everything But The Girl, Fuse. Number five, Jesse Ware. That feels good. Number four, The Rolling Stones, Hackney Diamonds. Number three, Michaela Davis and Southern Star. Number two, Stephen Wilson, The Harmony Codex. And number one, Peter Gabriel, Io. What a list. Two interesting lists. Like I said, I'm a little bit more mainstream. You kind of live up to the title of The Aging Hipster. You're definitely much more eclectic. Music influencers are just anyone with an opinion. The mindset does, okay, now that we're at the end of the year, you're going to file these albums away in your collection and kind of forget about them. No, there's going to be so much you're going to go back to and discover again and again. But 2024 is almost here and there's already a bunch of big new records waiting to be heard. So we got Green Day, Ministry, one of my favorites, Laura Jane Grace of Against Me, already ready to release new records. So 2024, here we go. And that's it for 2023, our final episode of the year. Thank you, Keith, for being a consistent presence on the Planet LP podcast. I truly value and appreciate your contributions to this podcast. Cheers to you, my friend. And to those who have stuck with this podcast for three years, a big thank you. Folks like Doug Davies and Michael Magali have been consistently strong supporters of Planet LP. And those who I haven't mentioned but have also kept Planet LP on their podcast queue, I thank you as well. Please drop me a note at ted at planetlp.com if you have any comments or suggestions. Enjoy the holidays, and I'll be back in 2024 right here on the Planet LP podcast. <laughs>